Good afternoon. Welcome to the Probate Mastery Alumni Call. I'm Bill Gross. I host this most weeks. I will not be hosting it three of the next four weeks. I'm, I'm Jewish, I'm religious, and I'll be off for Jewish holidays three of the next four Tuesdays, Just but we'll have a suitable guest host or a suitable replacement for the time. And if they're better than me, they might get the job. It's one of those things at risk. But we get together every week on Tuesdays at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern. And then we also live stream this and it's posted on Facebook, it's posted on the website, probatemaster.com, and in YouTube as well. The reason I like the format doing it live on a Zoom call is it's meant to be participative. The purpose of this call really is to help you with questions on the theory that if you're involved in Chad's coaching program, Probate Mastery, or one of the other follow-up programs, that you're engaged in a process of building a business, creating income and or wealth for yourself. And along the ways, anytime you're growing or building something, you're going to have setbacks, you're going to have failures. And you can learn on your own or you can learn in a group. And so hopefully that can maybe be a, bit, be a bit of a coach for you or guide and or we as a group can help you with problems. And so I know last week we had somebody who took the homework and did it and reported back some great success and shared with everybody. And so hopefully we do that on a regular basis. If you want to participate, raise your hand in the Zoom, bot, Zoom app. You can do that either on the desktop or on the phone or put a question in the chat, chat box. Start with the word with the letter Q and that way I'll make sure I catch it. Love to be participative. And the other option is you can go on to the Probate Master group in Facebook and post questions there, either before or after, and hopefully we'll get to them. So before we get started, I just want to share kind of one thought and, and, and just make back up and add one more piece. I'm not a professional coach. I'm a practitioner. I sell houses. I live in Los Angeles, California. I sell probate real estate primarily. Throughout California, I sold houses in nine counties last year. I currently have listings in LA County, uh, as well as Tahoma County, which I don't even know where it is, north of Redding, California, and invest in property around the country. And I'm building a, a probate real estate team underneath me throughout the country. But I'm a practitioner. I'm not selling you on the coaching. I paid for my probate mastery. I, I did the EARN program as a participant. I took it as well. I've paid for marketing with CAD and some other features that, that Chad has to offer. I paid for him the first time three years ago. I started my probate business. And I do this because I need this as a practitioner. I need, when I get stuck, to come to you guys. I post questions. I look for answers. And I believe we all do. And so that's what this is meant to be. That's why we're here, is to support each other. There's a million real estate agents. There's 30 or 40 or 50 on this call any given week. And we're here to work together to get the business. And the others who aren't on here, that's their challenge. So I just want to share with you what my motivation is. It's really to help you. So I want to share one idea before we get started on questions, which is a word that I hate. When a coach tells me this, or a manager, or a friend, or my wife tells me this word, I hate it. I hear the word and my whole body shakes. It's patience. I'm not a, well, I don't want to say that because I, I don't want to make a negative affirmation, but I will admit I've not been as patient as I should be in anything in my life. I have not been in the past as patient a husband as I should be. I've not been in the past as patient of fathers I should be. I work at it, try to get better every day. But I also have not been as patient in business as I need to be. And I do know that when I do exhibit patience, it gets rewarded. Just today, a project I've been working on for a couple of years now to get referrals from a particular source. I've been working and working and working and reaching out and doing all the things that I tell you guys to do and that I know I'm supposed to do and people tell me I'm supposed to do. And I've done all those things. It was so gratifying yesterday when this person called me to, he really wants to work with me 
we set up a time where we're going to strategize and go deep and work on some things in particular. And so this is what we do the business for is not just, you know, I do make a lot of money. I'm really happy about that. It gives me a lot of freedom, but I'm really happy to help other people in their business. And when they call me and say, hey, can you help me with this? That's really what motivates me to do what I do. And I'm here to help you guys too as well. Yes, I do some paid coaching. If you go online, you can hire me. I, I'm one of the teachers of the EARN program. But to be honest, I do because I love it. So we're here to help. We're here to work together and help each other. If you have a question, feel free to put the chat box. Feel free to raise your hand. I'd love to have you. Or unmute yourself if you're able to and just shout the question. I saw Nina. I don't think she needs, she's on the call. She posted a question, which is she needs a probate cocktail. Any suggestions? I don't know. I'm not sure. Manhattan shaken served up with bullet rye and Luxardo. Luxardo cherries. I don't know. Sounds good to me. Then Khalid asked a question a couple of days ago, looking for recommendations for skip tracing services. So I think one of the things about that is some companies do it at scale and offer the data already done, but they'll charge more than it'll cost you to do it if you can learn how to do it efficiently. Skip tracing the service, you take a database, and another way to think of it is appending to your data. You have data with a name maybe and an address and or a phone number or an email address, and then you send the data to service and they'll find the missing data and add that in. Maybe you're missing phone numbers, you're missing emails or mailing addresses, or they'll correct them. So there's a lot of companies that do that, and I think that one of the dangers I always say when you ask for referrals is, how deep is that person going? Have they tried several vendors? Because I find that, you know, if you use one, we're all happy to have one. And if they're good, great. And, and just share the, our experience with that. But just to name somebody because we know who they are, just be careful that you don't mislead somebody down a rabbit hole that they might waste their time on. So Eva, do you, PropStream is a service that, does, that sells you the data with it. Do they do skip tracing as well, do you know? And trivia information, Eva was my grandmother's name. Are you, have you used it yourself? Okay, so again, so PropStream is a company we can buy the data with the phone numbers in it already. They do the skip tracing. I don't think they do skip. Oh, they do. And I, and I think about it. We did a demo with them where you can upload the data and get phone numbers for some. So yeah, that might be an, op an option as well. And they have a 14-day free trial. Yeah, if you watch a PropStream introductory call, they often will give you a 7- or 14-day free trial. And I think it's $99 a month. I did one, and I had an affiliate code for them, but more just to learn the service. They sell pre-probates, they sell, you know, other types of real estate. What I, what I like about PropStream is you can layer several types of data, pre-probate, estate properties, vacant homes, tax liens, and then find all those that have, say, three or four combination. And I think the people who I know who use it layer two or three or four of those services and as a result, get better results or honing in on a smaller number and hit that smaller number more aggressively. Okay, so that's skip tracing. And then uh, I know that I see this regularly. People ask to put a group together to do phone calls and such. Rod Hooks put it in the probate mastery group to get a group together for accountability and bouncing ideas off each other. And I will say, you're welcome to do that here. If you want to put out your, your, your goals or commitment, I do ask people sometimes when we talk about something, if I do a little coaching with them, I'll say, you come back and report it because I want them to report the success they had and share with everybody. And more importantly, to encourage all of us to do better as well. Winston, always a pleasure to have you on. Winston Covington, Orange County, California. What's up, Winston? Hey, Bill. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, about a month or so ago, Bill, you were inquiring or somebody asked of you whether or not probate deals, as you're going through probate and get settled, 
if they could enjoy the same step up basis as somebody who had some real estate in a trust. And yeah. I did some research on that. I don't know if that was ever discussed again, but wanted to check in with you. I, I've got the answer. Well, I will say that I did get the answer for myself and I was negligent not bringing it back to this call. So go ahead and share with us. No, I think we did. I yeah, I checked with my CPA and he, he knew the answer right off the top of his head. He's been a CPA a long time. He said, yes, probate properties do enjoy the same stepped up basis as if somebody had inherited property through a trust. Yeah, and so that's the same answer I got. So what, that, what happens is as soon as the seed passes, whoever gets the property, whether it be through probate or it's passed through a trust, and in probate, what I, the answer I got was from the CPA, whether or not you buy the property, I mean, I'm sorry, sell the property in probate or keep the property through probate, meaning you could not sell the property in probate if you're the heir and keep it and use the title, use probate to change the title from mom and dad to son. And now it's deeded in your name as a result of the probate and you own the property free and clear. Or that's one option, if you want to keep the property or if you want to sell it through probate, you sell the property and then your taxes are based on the step up value of the property that you sell it at. So either way, you avoid the taxes from when the decedent bought the property until the time you get it. And I think one of the questions was based on some misinformation that you shouldn't keep the property because you'd have to pay taxes on it. And Winston clarified that's not the case, whether it be a trust or a probate. There is, however, one difference, which is the, there are city and county transfer taxes that are due, not on the family sale, but when you sell it eventually. So it, it doesn't, it's not any extra, it's a one-time sale. And then oftentimes, even in a probate, when you transfer title, the county will send you a bill because the paper has to be done properly and, and the county has to read the property. The, transfer properly so very very good fantastic Winston. thanks so much man sure what are you working on these days in the probate space i know you had a kind of wild one we talked about about a month ago it's, it's still a wild one so i can't really lay any claim to it but i was able to find a probate attorney unbeknownst to me at the time was actually petitioning to be the executor of the court he was being represented by another attorney and uh, so far we've made a very connection. We've got a little painful situation we're working on here, but out of the blue, I just kind of decided to just check this guy out on LinkedIn, you know, the executor and saw who he was. And we started a conversation and had a good meeting and we're looking forward to working with each other. Fantastic. Well, that's great. It's always great when things connect up like that. Congratulations. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. And then one other question I saw in the chat box was what is step-up basis? So really important concept. Now I'm not an accountant, but what it means is when mom and dad pass, when you inherit the property, as Winston said, whether by trust or by probate. So I'm assuming mom and dad bought the property for $50,000 20 years ago, and they passed and today's worth a million dollars. Well, it's nice to get a, pro, you know, a, a, a profit or an asset worth a million dollars, but if you pay taxes on it, you know, if it was ordinary income, you might pay you know, in California 50% tax rates or federally, you know, 38% tax rates on the profit. Of course, there's some other costs you can offset, but basically it's a big tax bill. So in federal tax law though, that step up is free, meaning when mom and dad bought the property, if their basis was $50,000 and when they pass it's worth a million, you, your profit, your taxes due, or, and their estate taxes are not due on that either. The taxes due on the estate based on that sale is basically wiped out by the federal government. 
So I have a case right now where a customer has a property inherits, I think, half of a $2.3 million property. And in essence, he gets that half. You know, the, the estate doesn't have to pay taxes out of it, which means his inheritance isn't, isn't reduced by that amount of money. And so it, it basically, when I say step up, it really is on the decedent's estate that the money would be owed. But because of the unique tax law provision, when somebody passes, it gets passed to the heirs. And their base, the basis for the estate is the basis at the time of death. That's not true in California, interestingly enough. And people are often shocked to find that out. I, my client was shocked to find a bill for, in his case, $53,000, was like 12.5%, 12.4%, I think, on the profit on his share of the sale. And it seems like a lot. He was kind of, why am I paying taxes? Well, the federal government, it's really interesting. You know, just show of hands, who thinks the federal government does not tax enough? Anybody think? Or you put me in the chat box. Who does not? Who thinks the federal government? I'm gonna put on a full chat, full view here, just to make sure I'm not. We'll give everybody a fair chance here, not to get too political. Who thinks the federal government needs to raise taxes more on the sale of property? Real quick, one. Oh, Larry Smith is down. Okay, so Larry, you don't think more? You think less? Okay, just checking, Gary. I wasn't sure. Not not sure. Not clear. Okay, let's see here. Just double checking, Larry. More or less taxes? No. So for those of you who are not in California, you should know that if you think you pay too much taxes to the federal government, the federal government does give you a free pass when your you know, ancestors pass, when your heirs, or people that, you, that, you're, that you're heir to, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anybody, if you inherit property, the federal government says, no, we're not going to charge taxes on the estate you died and we're going to give you a free pass. The state of California doesn't. The state of California charges you at the full tax rate regardless. So if you wonder why people are moving out of California, moving to Florida and Texas, that's probably a good clue. Oh. So that's what step-up basis is. Does that answer that for you, Terry? <laughs> was there enough emotion? <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on a rant, but my customer was pissed when he got the bill. <laughs> that answer your question for you? I don't know. I hope it does. Okay. Explain step-up. Get a real good connection. Very, very good. So Terry asked, was the property owned by a trust? Terry, the question was, the step up in value from when somebody passes to their heirs, which means it wipes out tax liability for the sale of the property at the federal level, does the same benefit apply whether you're a trust and you inherit? The answer was yes, according to the CPA. Whether you're a probate and you inherit the property through probate, meaning you, you, somebody loses the property and you keep it at the end of probate and change title, or if you sell the property, in all three cases, the value stepped up to the date of death. And so most probate courts have a date of death appraisal in case you don't sell the property to cover that. So the answer is regardless of your disposition of the property, whether you keep it, whether it's a trust or not, when somebody passes, the, the tax liability kind of goes away as of the date of death, though, as I found out, not in California. Okay, Evan says she's renovating the second one. All tenants have the first choice to buy. Okay, good for you. And Dave Gwynn says, yes, it will. Thank you. All regular houses. Excellent, Evan. How exciting. And the new basis based on the date of death. Correct. In fact, I had a recent case where we did, we sold a property and the date of death, so we, the, the person died and three months later we sold the house. But the appraised value actually came in and date of death was higher than when we sold it. Why? Because the property inside was a fixer, it was thrashed. It was a condo. But the appraiser was on the outside. So he looked at the comps and he valued, I think, at 760. We sold it for 
710. We got, we got top dollar for that condo building, but the state actually had a $50,000 tax, li you know, a negative liability they could use on offsetting other things. Okay, Terry, great info on California step up. Yeah, it's great unless you live in California. <laughs> it's not so great. And then Dave Gwynn says, same as 1031s. I don't think that's true, Dave. Are you sure about that, that 1031 exchanges don't apply for California property? Maybe, maybe I realize it. I don't think, I don't think that's true. I think 1031 defers taxes for federal and state, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm not, I'm, I don't pretend to be an expert on the subject. So, okay, well, going back to Eva, I got four probate listings now, one closed about a week ago. Eva, that's fantastic. Eva, where did you get your list? Where do you do business, first of all? Lancaster, California. Okay, so people don't know that's the farthest north section of LA County, Lancaster and Palmdale, nearest the desert area. And how did you get the four listings? What did you do to get them? Well, it's an hour and a half north of LA with no traffic, Eva, but let me tell you something. I've been to Lancaster. <laughs> there are times it takes more it's more than an hour and a half to get to Tarzana sometimes. So, but how'd you get? You mind sharing how you got the listings? What, what did you? Do? What was your activity? Got a seller. She got through a mobile home. I was going to list the deceased owned four properties. Bingo. So, what I try to tell people sometimes probate is not just buying data from a source and cold calling it. When you are familiar with the topic, when you're familiar with the situation, it creates more opportunity for success. And so here's a case where Eva, she's not, I don't think, cold calling people and grinding out the phones to get leads, but because I imagine at some level she was familiar with the dialogue related to probate real estate, somebody says, oh, so-and-so passed, they own four of the properties, who are they going to list it with? And there are a lot of realtors who'd be too scared or maybe rightfully need somebody to help them with it because they don't know what to do properly and they're, they're going to mess it up if you don't know what you're doing. I work for big companies, it's easy for us to find people uh, at DXP Realty, I'm one of the designated experts in probate. People call me all the time with leads in business. But if you're a small company or it's just you, what are you going to do? In Eva's case, she was able to list the property. So I do think it's important to learn probate real estate, even if you're just a real estate agent in the business and not going to prospect on that. So good work, Eva. And daughter lives in Montana. Great. Out of state. Now they have you to help. Okay. Larry Smith, hand up. Larry, unmute and welcome to our call. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, Bill. So in California, not that I anticipate I will ever be doing any probate business there, but wouldn't it be a good estate plan because of the step-up basis issue in California? Wouldn't it be best that they have a discussion about selling their property on an owner finance deal so oh, they yeah. don't get hit with the taxes? And then after they pass, you've already established the step-up basis and now you don't even have that to deal with going forward for the estate. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things you do ahead of time, and, and certainly installment plans. I think, you know, as a real estate agent, one thing I'm really looking into, I've not gotten business out of it, but one thing I'm really researching intensely is subject twos and owner financing. Mm -hmm. Because while it's true that the real estate market might be more challenging, I, I do think there's less sales and there's, you know, more people and a lot of them are going to get out of the business as, as that tightens up. There's a great, there's great opportunities on two things. One is subject to is where owner buys a property, say two years ago, they want to sell it, but they have a great loan at 2.75 or 3%. Mm -hmm. And a buyer buying that same property today would have to get, I think six and a quarter as of today, 6.42. And so if you have that property, you can offer it 
say as a seller at, you know, carry back the money and wrap the loan around subject to, and there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be talked about subject to. I understand it. it's very complicated and detailed, but there are some great tools to make it work where you can wrap that loan and either make a profit of the 3% or get a higher sales price. If you're just trying to get out of the property than you otherwise might. So that's one. And the other one being owner carry back. And because of a lot of people with a lot of equity, particularly in probate cases. And so what Larry's alluding to is when you sell a property and the owner carries back, in essence, the owner is the lender. So you have a property that's say worth $500,000 and they want to sell it. And the buyer may come to them and say, you know, they don't qualify or they're willing to pay you know, a premium. Okay, I'll sell it to you for 500,000. Give me 20% down, maybe 80,000. And then I'll, I'll lend you the $420,000 as a seller Instead of cash, instead of you paying me off, I'll take a note. I'll write your first mortgage at 420 at whatever terms we agree on, and you can pay me. And as the seller, you only pay taxes on the profits, if there's profits, as you receive them. So you sell the house, in that case, if let's say $500,000, you get $80,000. Maybe you bought it for $80,000. You still haven't taken any profits out. And then oftentimes they'll do interest-only loans. That way they're not collecting any profits until they get paid off. And then when they get paid off, they can roll that into a maybe 1031 exchange or some other tax legal tax avoidance strategies. So yeah, I think that that if I was a real estate agent today starting out, I'm pretty deep into probate right now and I'm working a couple of things related to probate. But if I was starting out, I would put a real a lot of time and research into being an expert into subject twos and into owner carrybacks. Because I think those are work opportunities that are way underserved right now. And I think there'll be opportunities for us to make a lot of money in those areas going forward. Okay. So thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks so much. Thank you. So, so Dave says he thinks he want to collect taxes on the, defer, on the deferred taxes when the place of property is sold. Okay. I, you know, and he's not a trainer CPA in either line. So rather than get in discussion, we'll have to table the, we'll look for a CPA tell us on 1031 exchanges that get out of California taxes or not. And so Terry says oh. on the subject twos, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Terry says on subject two is that nobody worries about the loan acceleration. And so as far as acceleration, there are a couple options. There is insurance for loan acceleration that you can buy. And so if there's enough profit on the table, you can take some of that, put it in that insurance policy. And also another thing that's changed since I started being in the business is there's service companies that will collect the payment, give both the buyer and seller access to information and make the payments onto the lender automatically. And so those are two different tools that might make the loan acceleration risk on a loan less for a subject to seller. That said, there are risks. You should check it out. But those are two amazing tools that didn't exist when I started in this industry and we did excel, we did the subject twos. Winston, double dipping with Winston Covington today. What's going on? Hey, just a clarification question. This came up in discussion about a week ago here, Bill. I know when, when someone's appointed by the probate judge to be either the executor or the administrator, and it's going to be limited authority, we have to deal with the probate referee, and we're going to sell real estate. It's got to be within roughly 90% of his drive-by appraisal. Now, switching hats, let's say we had that question of somebody with full authority. The question was, do we always have to stay within that 90% rule with somebody selling real estate under full authority. I, I had kind of a 50-50 response to that. So I wanted to check in with you. Sure. So what Winch is referring to is a process in California, and it's somewhat similar in some other states, 
But in California, there's two different types of authority, as in most states. One are we call full authority, which is a little misleading, but it's full authority. It's full authority till it's not. Is how you should think about it. Or it may it may it may be full authority, versus limited. So limited authority means the court supervises certain actions, such as selling the property. To sell a property with court approval, you have to publish that you're selling the property in California, in Los Angeles, in certain publications. There's a legal, in the legal newspapers, like little fine print newspapers at the back sometimes. You wonder, what are all these printings about bankruptcies and foreclosures and probates? That's where it's printed, that type of newspaper. It's a legal publication that services the county. Then you accept an offer, and then they file a petition to have the court confirm the property, confirm the sale. And at that time, anybody can come into court and offer that price plus 5% and $500. So if you have a property under limit authority, you sell it for $500,000, you accept the offer, you file the petition, three days later you walk into court, if somebody else walks in and says, says I'll buy it for $500,000 plus 5% plus $500 or $525,500. And if they have a cashier's check for 10% of that amount, then they can bid on that property. And then there's a bidding war between anybody who shows up and the buyer to overbid on that property. But you're buying it with no contingencies that day as is you're signing on it 10% down cash and you need to close within 10 days of the court signing the court order. So the question, the, the price has to, in order for the court to confirm it, the, the court does what's called a probate referees and appraisal report, inventory and appraisal report. A probate referees inventory and appraisal report. We think of it as a drive-by appraisal, basically. They don't go in the property, they drive by. They don't provide any information other than the legal address and the value they came up with and the invoice. They give you no comps, they give you no pictures, nothing. They do charge for pictures, I've never gotten them, never been able to get them. They're not attached to the reports, they're the weirdest thing. So, so I would say it's below a drive-by. And so the question Winston's asking is on a, on a limited authority case where the court confirms the case, they'll require that the sales price be at least 90% of their appraisal. So you use the case I gave you. If the appraisal came in at 500,000, they'd say fine. If the appraisal came in at 600,000, 90% is 540, the court would say, well, even though you sold at 500, and this guy's willing to bid 5255, I won't approve your sale unless we get to 540. Now, there's two possibilities. One, somebody will bid up to 540. The other occasion is if it's too high, I've gone back to probate appraisers, probate referees, technically, and been able to get them to agree to lower their appraisal. I'll tell you, by law, they have up to 60 days to do this drive-by appraisal. It is oppressive how long they take. They charge a ridiculous fee compared to a normal appraiser. Some are very good and professional, and some are just, it's like working with the US Postal Service, but worse, or the DMV, but worse. So Winston's question is, that's limited approval. How about on a full approval, full authority, do you need the same restriction? The answer, because there is an inventory and appraisal report done. The answer is no, however, full authority is full authority until it's not. If all the noticed parties, the heirs, beneficiaries, creditors all agree uh, with the sale. There's a 15, there's a notice of proposed action that gets filed. And as long as nobody complains before 15 days, then you can close your transaction. In many cases, the attorney will have the parties approve it. They'll sign proof they were served so you can close before 15 days. But 
if one person objects to it, then the court usually will set a hearing 30 days later to hear what the objection is and to give them a chance to complain. And one very compelling argument is, hey, the probate referee was for 600,000 and you're selling it for 500,000 and you undersold the property. So while technically you don't have to look at the number, you should be aware of it and be aware as a real estate agent, what's the landscape? Who else is getting noticed on this case? Is, it, is there other heirs? Are they siblings that are fighting amongst each other? This is just throwing gasoline on that fire or and sometimes it's just one heir and he knows the property sold for less because the drive-by appraisal comped it to normal properties and the inside of this property is thrashed, it's not habitable. So the answer to your question, the, the long, that was a long answer. The short answer, Winston, is it's not a problem until it's a problem. And if it is a problem, then it's a problem. How's that? All right, thanks, Val. Appreciate it. Is that too, did I answer your question? Is that too much information? Yeah, it was good for everybody. It was good for me. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah, if I go a little long, sometimes I will, because I assume some of you have never heard this before. And second of all, I, love, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I love this topic. And so that's just kind of how I, thanks so much. What's always. Okay, now we have Lynette has her hand up. Let's bring her in, get her unmuted. What's up, Lynette? Hi, I have a, I have a can you hear me okay? Yeah, perfect. Thank you. I have a question about Medicaid. So I, I don't know, this is a generic comment. You know how you listen to all this and you're, you're sure you're clear of how things go and then you're in it and I'm like suddenly don't have any business acumen around this at all. It is a little bit frustrating, but so this specific question is Medicaid, Medicare. How, does anyone know how Medicaid, the entity behaves when there's potential clawback and what they provide the heirs to the estate in, in terms of like what's owed or so. So what I saw was this pile of forms to make sure that, you know, there wasn't anybody in the property that qualified for, you know, to, to eliminate their ability to collect against the estate. You know, if, if the, so the estate, the majority, all of the money is in the house. So there's, that's, that's number one. Number two, there, there's, you know, no minor children, nobody with a disability, no spouses or anything that prohibits them from doing that. And they just send the form and say, what's the value of the estate? So it's kind of like, like, you know, I need you to paint my house. And somebody says, well, how much money do you have? You, you know, like that's kind of how it occurs to me. Is there a statutory, statutory responsibility for Medicaid to come in and say what the bill is before they start soliciting how much it's worth? Or is, yeah, or yeah. So, so just to clarify a little bit. So again, I, I'm in California, you're in Colorado, state laws are a little different, but there's federal laws. So in general, you know, quick summary, Medicaid is a means tested medical product for people of lower income to qualify for it. Medicare is like Social Security. Theoretically, we all pay into it. And if we pay into it, we're entitled to the benefits of it. Medicaid is most commonly low income. And then there's, there's you know, hospital expenses. And then there's hard to get into here in California, but I don't know what you call them, but places where people go before they pass. And there's expenses for that that get charged to Medicaid. And so what happens is theoretically, because it's mean tested, you don't have income, you don't have liquid assets, you can't pay the bill, but you have this property. Oftentimes people will not state they own the property or they'll state they have it, but they can't access it so they don't hold them up. But what happens is they'll get 
notified. So when somebody passes on death certificates nowadays, is a social security number. It didn't used to be because those numbers were used for fraud. It used to be people get social security number of somebody who died and they would use that number to establish a new account and open new credit. But now what happens is that number gets notified to certain parties, banks and the government to shut those accounts down. So that's why when somebody passes, within days their bank accounts are closed down. And also along the way, social security gets notified so that they don't pay benefits to somebody who's passed as well as they can collect if there's Medicaid that's been paid out. The government, not Social Security, but the government can notify, the, will look for that bill. So what happens is in California, there's a credit and in almost all states. So there's a time period where there's a posting of the probate that notifies creditors and there's a service creditors get to notice that there's somebody who has a probate and they then can submit bills. So that's how Visa finds out if somebody passed or car loan people find out somebody passed and that's how Medicaid finds and they submit an invoice to the probate case and the executor is responsible to pay that. Now I, I'm not an attorney but I do I'm an affiliate member of the LA bar and they have what they call a listserv and you can see discussions amongst attorneys and there's literally a discussion yesterday on is somebody liable for not paying taxes or clawback Medicaid clawback and, and maybe distributing the money out to the heirs and the answer is that technically the executor or administrator could be held personally liable for that shortage. That's why sometimes they'll get insurance if you're if you're an executor or an administrator, or if you're an attorney, they'll have insurance. That's why there's a bond. The the court will use require a bond. So to- let, let, let me let me let me interrupt you there. What's the criteria for a PR to put insurance in place against like where what what do you call like I'm the PR you know probate PR insurance? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there, there's insurance. Yeah, there's for executors or administrators of, of states and trusts. There's there's an insurance product for these people. Okay, so if any, okay. Like, I just call it fidelity bond is the term that normally used, but it basically there's two bonds. Okay, there's a okay. bond. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going because I want to get back. Okay. So I, I I'm clear there there's a, a Medicaid li- Medicaid liability. They've got Medicare right. Advantage. There's Advantage, and then the other one, the one that actually does something. I think it's supplemental. So the CAID was used, from what I'm told, right. to supplement the co-pays on, on the medications. Correct. So well, that's from, it's means tested, meaning somebody applied for it because they don't make enough income to pay for it on their own. So they, they didn't make enough income. They had equity in the house. I was under the impression if you had any equity in the house, you didn't qualify for any Medicaid whatsoever. But I don't, that, even, so I don't know that. It, it may be. And it may be somebody falsely so, claims so they don't. That's part of it. So I, I, I know, I know there's a, a Medicaid liability. There's, I, I pulled a TBD title. We, there's, there's nothing on title. The title's clean. We're moving it along. I want to know how do we ask how much that liability is? Well, I mean, they're, they, they seem to be able to ask you what you're worth. I, I understand they're looking for whether they have the ability to claim or not. I really do understand that, but I I'm also curious as to how you tell how much it is without, you know. Can I tell you? So I don't know, but what I can tell you what happens is the probate gets filed. There's a notice that's filed publicly. It's called notice to creditors and bills come in. And I mean, Medicaid and and Bank of America and Wells Fargo and Chase have people who all they do is look for those notices and send the bill and it comes in right away. Okay. So does anybody know if you can figure out what's owed to Medicaid specifically with, yeah. without poking a bee's nest, you know? 
Yeah, that I don't know. Anybody okay. who knows so, that, good so, question. So then the other thing is I was told by the PR that his attorney said there was no need to file notice to creditors. It might be Colorado thing. In California, we filed the notice, so I don't know. I, yeah, I can't I imagine. Here's what I know. In California, you run the risk of being held liable for that shortage. Theoretically, the, the beneficiaries, we distribute the money out to other people. And you say, well, I don't have any money left. I gave it all to my brothers or sisters. Theoretically, they could be clawed back. Or not likely, but I guess if it's enough money, anything can happen. So I, I wouldn't play with that, but it's possible. But again, what I want to remind you is in most cases, at least in California, there's even a, most kids have even a minimal bond, $20,000 bond to cover these kinds of expenses. So, oh, okay. So then the, the last thing is I, I can't come up with, with, with the, the language, but the hierarchy of, of liens being paid against, against the equity in the house from the title company. What do you call that? The, I think hierarchy priority and the priority or whatever. So, so I know like the IRS is before the deed of trust, right? Is Medicaid before the deed of trust? I, I don't know. I would doubt, I would doubt it. I would doubt, I would doubt that the, I don't think the IRS is I'm being, the trust. I, I, I'm, I'm being told that, so it goes, the administrator, I think they're getting bad advice. That's why I'm asking. So the, the cost of administration, then taxes, which kind of folds into Medicaid because it's a federal lien, then, then the mortgage company, then the heirs. I don't think the taxes come before the mortgage company, not on a normal foreclosure. I didn't think so either. Unless the lien filed and there's a mortgage afterwards, that's different. But uh, I mean, to for, close it, you have to come to the table if you owe, but I, I just didn't know what the what the yeah. stack was. That doesn't sound right. And I will say the administ- the the errors and the attorney's fees in, in California, the administrator executive fees don't get paid till the final distribution after everybody else gets paid. But expenses can get paid along the way. So if you have actual expenses, you're paying to parties, yeah. that's different. And, and, and that's part of it. I'm, I'm trying to make sure that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want them under contract because sellers bound in Colorado, you know, that's their first specific performance versus liquidated damages. If they're going under contract, I need to have an understanding of what this is. So they're not upside down. They just need to like call it you know, or do a short sale on a reverse or something like that. So I this, well, this I will is, say in California that if you read again, I know we're in different states, but and I do believe we're as real estate agents, we're blessed with a lot of bad things about our, our organization. But one of the great things that Association of Realtors does is the forms we use, I think it's my personal belief. In California in particular, I think our forms are amazing. And in, in the probate addendums and contracts, I think you read them it protects you and your seller from those possibilities that if you discover in the course of the probate, that's why, as I said to Winston, it's not a problem, though it's a problem because it could be full authority. And then maybe, maybe Medicare jumps in and says, Hey, we're not getting paid and we're objecting to the sale. You know, that, that that's all spelled out in the contract and that the protection of liability for your seller and you as the agent is in there. So you might want to check. I'd be interested with the Colorado forms look like if you get it, pull them and send me a copy. I'd love just to read them. The, the, Colorado, the Colorado Real Estate Commission set of forms, we were, we have the limited ability to practice law and it's a very robust set. It's one of the most tedious sets in the country, as well as elegant. They do not specifically address probate. Really? We have all kinds of probate specific contracts with forms, identities and such. If so, anything, you check personal representatives deed. Oh, wow. 
Okay. Well, again, I, I, a lot of things you can argue about CAR, California Association of Realtors, but one I'm proud of is. So, so, so that one, one of the bigger takeaways from this is their elder law attorney is, from my perspective, probably not giving them good advice. And it's an awkward, it's an awkward position, you know. So I'm going to say this, knowing that their attorneys were on the call and, and watch this. Coin flip as to whether they're right or wrong. It's amazing to me the bad advice. I mean, I'd be careful what I say here because because of they think he's the cat meow, and I'm like, yeah, until until you lose your house. <laughs> no. Attorneys, one unique common trait of attorneys, in my experience, is they're great at sounding like they know what they're talking about, even when they know nothing about what they're talking. And and I had an amazing experience where I have a team underneath me of 35 agents total. So I have one of my team leaders. Had a probate case, I was walking her through it, and I have another team leader who has a probate listing. I was walking her through it, but when she sent me the file and I researched it, it was the same attorney as on this other one. And I said, "Well, good news and bad news. The good news is it's the same attorney as this person. The bad news is they don't know what they're doing. So this is if you can get them to understand they don't know what we're doing, and you do, you have a relationship. If you can't, you have a tough relationship because they're going to." Because he kept insisting on doing things we don't need to do. Winston, I think, would agree. On a, on a limited authority case in Orange County, in this case, but state law, we don't need to get court approval to list a property on a probate. We do want a conservatorship or guardianship when you're selling the conservative or guardians or the guardian person their property, right? In Orange County, we don't need to, to do it for a listing. So the attorneys will insist on things that are wrong. And how do we sell them on that? That's, that's the relationship. I don't have an answer for you. And how to work with attorneys who think they know what to tell and give people bad advice. That's one of the perils of this area. And that's why I work so hard at this to establish my relationship. I got it. Thank you. I, uh, Thank you so I, much. I would love to see if, you, if, if any other state has probate forms. I'm not looking to steal the forms or to use them. I just want to educate myself. I'd love to see what other states do have or don't have. Feel free to send them to me and I'd love just to review them. And I would actually like to see what California has in place because it might afford some language and additional provisions that I wouldn't muster by myself, you know. Okay. If you're interested in them, send me an email and just put to bill at the LA probate expert.com, bill at the LA probate expert.com and just put this up to CAR forms for California Association of Realtor Forms and my assistant will reply back with the basic form, samples of the basic forms. Not usable, but for, for education purposes. Winston. Hey, Bill. I've got a little bit of a nugget that isn't going to help Lynette, but it's going to help people in California. And I, I was actually taught this by Paul Horn because I went through his probate certification course and he did talk about Medi-Cal. Okay. And this is more going to be, it's a great conversation in favor of a trust. But what he had talked about is that somebody did own real estate. It really didn't have much economically, financially. It ended up with this big medical bill, okay, for for their medical expenses. If the property was in trust, the state of medical couldn't go after it. In probate, yes, but in a trust, no. That's just a little tip, not related to that, but just a little something to know that Paul Horn taught us. That's a great, you know, tidbit. I thought about it in midstream. I appreciate you bringing it up. Two things. One is Medi-Cal is California's administration of Medicaid. So Medicaid is money that's given to the states. The states create their own program and service their, their citizens with, in this case, means-tested, low-income health care. So 
Medi-Cal in California is Medicaid, basically. But he's 100% correct and great pointed out. One of the values of a trust is that people face tremendous expenses and liability for medical care and health care and, and so on. And so they can avoid using all that money by putting themselves into a trust, putting their assets into a trust. And that way they don't own anything personally, but the trust does. And then they can distribute money as they want to to pay for the services. It's, it's, it's interesting how people who are wealthy can afford the wealthier estate planning to avoid having to pay out of their large estate the Medicaid that the average person or low-income person has to use to pay for it. But that's one of the realities, particularly here in California. One of the reasons why you should have an estate plan is to avoid that liability. And theoretically, why everybody owns a house should have an estate plan, because that way they will keep more money. So Winston, again, thank you. That's a great tidbit. Important for anybody in California in particular, I think anywhere in the country. Okay. Another question from Khalid, one of my favorites, is working with me more about subject twos and owner carryback. So again, Pace Morby, and he teaches, he is the number one guy, I think, on subject twos. He has plenty on YouTube for free. You can learn about to get the idea, and hopefully they'll help you with it. And yes, Lisa, thank you. Okay, and then subject two is about the price rather than equity. So what happens with a, with a subject two is you have somebody who otherwise can't get the price they want, but they can but if they use a subject two. So for example, we all as realtors have sellers who want to sell their house for $500,000, but it's only worth four sixty, dollars and nobody will pay them $500,000. Well, if they have a, a loan on the property for $400,000 or four twenty dollars or four fifty, at 3%, there are buyers who might pay $500,000 because they're going to have a lower payment than they might otherwise in another house. Or their payments overall will be the same as if they four sixty dollars for the property because of the lower interest rate payment. So again, it's a different approach. It's a tool to have in your toolbox when you talk to sellers who want a particular price but may or may not qualify. Okay, so, and, and Eva's talking about how she used the, the seller caring on the chat box. I don't want to go through the whole thing, but yeah, it definitely it's a case where you have somebody who can't get the price they want, and as a result, it's going to work. So as soon as insurance changes new owners, the lender is notified. That could be the case. There are, you know, I have to say, there are many lenders who even with a change of ownership don't call the loan due. But I'll say this, if your loan's 3% today, banks are probably ramping up their efforts to call loans that are due on subject two. So we'll see how that works going forward. I suspect that business will be taking off. Steve Carney reminds us that Chad talks to Chris Prefontaine at Smart Real Estate Coach to learn about creative financing. Yes, he interviewed him. He's great. There's a lot of different people in that space. I only know Chris through that interview. Seems like a great option as well. And then Lynette, Larry makes a good point. Maybe you should talk to an elder law attorney. And I think, Lynette, sometimes these problems we have are great excuses to call attorneys and use that to establish a relationship. So I would definitely definitely use that. I always try to find things to call attorneys about and ask. And I think, you know, I find they're glad to educate people. They, you know, Everybody likes to help people, I think, if they think it's genuine. So just an idea. Glenda asks, are there probate specific contracts for Texas? I don't know. We have any Texas realtors here? Are there specific California for, uh, Texas forums for probate? Love to see them. Send me a copy if you'd be so kind. I'd love to see them. Boy, we got we got. And Larry says he's never seen any. I've not heard of it. Okay. And I, we've got a no from Dave Hampton. No, there's no different forums in Texas. So again, if you have different states forums, I'd love to see them. If you want the state forums for California samples, not usable, I'm glad to send you a, a copy of those. Again, just send to my email and put C A R forms in the subject line. I'll send that to you. 
Okay, no more hands up. We're kind of at the end of the hour, so I want to wrap things up. I'm Bill Gross. We do this every week. It's Probate Mastery's alumni call. Tuesdays, 12 noon, 3 p.m. Tomorrow, if you haven't, I run a program called GetProbate.Cash, where I take the idea of probate advances and go really deep with it. I'm really looking to train agents, investors, wholesalers, attorneys, and PRs on how to use probate cash as a business tool. Full disclosure, it's really more an introduction to a mastermind I form that's paid. The call tomorrow, though, 8.30 a.m. Pacific time is free. If you're interested, go for to jump on that call or go to my YouTube channel and you can see what that's about. I'm looking for some partners to work with me in a mastermind to build out that platform. So I'd love to have you join there. If not, we're here. You can go to probatemastery.com on the website to see past episodes and other questions. And Lisa, thank you very much. She wishes me a Shana Tova, which in Hebrew is a good new year. I'll be off next week for the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah. So I won't see you guys next week. But in the meantime, call me, text me, email me if I can help. Make it a great week, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you.